Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome again to this celebratory installation service. It's an amazing moment to be here. Um, you know, as Brenda said, my name is Josh Williams. I'm this new position that she mentioned, <laughs> and also uh, have been uh, serving as the lead pastor for the Elm City Vineyard Church. Very excited and thankful to be uh, in this national role, and also to have been serving the vineyard uh, just as a local pastor for several years. It's an amazing day to be here with Mercy Vineyard, to celebrate with you this momentous day. It's a celebratory day. Um, and also for my friend, for Gary, uh, and for his family, uh, my pastor friend in the trenches. And no, everyone has a story of meeting Gary and kind of what their impression is, like what they think. And I know for me, when I met Gary, it was like, and I don't exactly, <laughs> Gary's like, what story are you about to tell? He's like, I, I don't know exactly when it was. All I knew is I knew my impression. I was like, wait. This guy from Baltimore that, like, loves God, and it's so apparent that he loves God. And not just, like, God, but, like, the word of God and discipleship. Like, he's infectious with, like, I want to, like, disciple the church. I want this. But then he's also like, but you know I'm a revolutionary, right? I'm like, wait, like, you just said you're about the, this and you're about that, too. He's like, yeah, I'm a revolutionary for Jesus. But I'm also waiting for, like, next steps from Jesus about, like, how that revolution will happen. I'm like, these things, Gary, they're not supposed to go together. People aren't supposed to be like you in that way. And then if you really know him, you know he's very tender to the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell your story about the car and the prayer and all those things, but, you know, someone else, you probably heard it, Mercy, but this man recognized the Spirit of God and asked for more at a time where he was wondering, why am I doing this? And I sure won't be a pastor, right? And it won't be this kind of calling, right? But he invited the work of the Holy Spirit into his life. And then the Spirit brought him into the vineyard, and that's where I met him. And I said, my God, thank you, God. God is good. Another brother in the vineyard to be friends with, to know. It's amazing. This is your pastor. And I'm so honored and humbled to share just a, a simple and hopefully timely message for this occasion. Because this is a set-apart day. That's what it means to have something like an installation. It's a set-apart day for a set-apart church, for a set-apart man. What I, could believe, what I believe could be a set-apart time for, for us. So I said that phrase a lot. What does it mean? Well, it's really what the word anointed means, to be set apart for a particular mission or calling or purpose. And that's the theme of today. That's what we're going to be talking about, getting a little bit deeper in. And the story of God, we can find these special days all around. And it's weird. Things are ordinary, then all of a sudden they're, they're not anymore. The set-apart day where... Uh, Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John. Just the day before, Jesus is just a carpenter. And then something new, something wonderful, something surprising. The day of Pentecost, the day of waiting, where the Spirit fell on everyone, just the day before, it was just an another day of mourning, of grief, wondering, why was Jesus killed? What's gonna happen? Why were we waiting? And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes like never before. Or the day before, Paul became Paul this famous church planter, and he was just a persecutor. And the church was wondering, who, what is God doing? What's God's big plan? This feels awful to be persecuted day in and day out. And then on the road to Damascus, this man named Paul drops, and he's changed. And this journey of repentance starts. An ordinary day, and then a day is set apart for change, surprising change, and God comes through in a new way. And I believe today, is a set-apart day for Mercy Vineyard, for Gary, for his family, for this church, 
I believe it could even be for the city of Minneapolis and for our movement of churches, the vineyard. After all, if I need to remind you that what happens in Minneapolis can change our nation and our world, then I don't know what else to tell you. But it can be changed because of mercy, God's mercy to our broken world around us. So let's learn a bit more about our set-apart day by examining one of Jesus' own. One day near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's just walking around full of God's power, wondering you know, what the next thing is, and people are talking around him. Their lips are praising, saying, what is this guy doing? What could he do for us? And then something new. First to setting apart an anointing, and then, to be honest, massive confusion and some craziness. We'll get into that later. But let's enter into the story. This is from the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 4. If you have a Bible, if you want to follow along on the screen, um, feel free. I'm going to start in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus went back to his hometown, where he's from, where he grew up, and he read an ancient scroll all about how the Spirit anoints people for the work of God, for kingdom work, the work of this new realm that's coming, right? Full of God's power. And anointed is just that word of being set apart for ministry or a purpose. And what Jesus read was all about what the Spirit was doing. What the Lord set apart for an ancient time, Jesus' time, and I believe our time still today. It's these things. To preach good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in saying these sacred words about loving our most vulnerable neighbors, Jesus was saying, this is what he is set apart to do. This is his work. This is his ministry. To make sure good news always reaches to those with the least, the least amount of money, the least amount of joy, of life, of spirit. The least need to hear the proclamation of the good news. To make sure captives know that no bars, no chains are too strong for our God. To heal our vision in order to make sure that no eye is blocked from seeing the goodness of God in our time, in our day. To secure liberation for anyone tied down by systems, by structures, by people, lies, or ideas. And to make it resound that the time where God is good and where God is powerful is right now in our midst, in this place, right now. This is Jesus' drop-the-mic moment. Now, I'm at your sound team, so I'm not going to just try to pull a mic or try to do it or try to take off this headset. I, I want to respect the house, right? But it is really Jesus' drop-the-mic moment. We, we actually see it in the Scripture. In 20, it says, Then Jesus rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
We're good here? The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Seated in a place of rest, not in the spotlight anymore. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now let's be real for a second. The context of the world that Jesus lived in, in many ways, was much like our own. Folks were struggling to connect with the living God. Religious insiders were profiting while seekers were turned away and shamed. A powerful empire helped the rich and then spat on the poor. Disease created cycles of poverty, isolation. People were longing for community. Even on set-apart days, we have to acknowledge reality. Things are bad. We have to acknowledge the reality of Minneapolis, of an urban center, of the ways that things aren't perfect here. We know that. You know, Gary could tell you the stats. I know he knows them. There's things that are, are not good here. And yet one of the things that sets us apart is our conviction that it's God's work in his ancient story that changes things and makes things different. Not our own hustle, not our own work, not our own actions. When Jesus said these ancient words had been fulfilled, none of that hardship in his community magically stopped. That's not what fulfillment meant. And Jesus did not set out like a superhero or a social justice laborer to do it all in one day. Fulfillment must have meant something different. Set-apart days don't magically change reality, even beautiful installation services. Instead, set-apart days change our own hope for what is possible, for what we can see, for what God will do, again, in our time and in our day. Jesus seems assured that his reading of an ancient story was critical, was timely, proclamation that begged for a demonstration of God's power and God's love. And on set-apart days, fulfillment doesn't come from erasing the hardship altogether, but revealing the hope that our proclamation, our words are no longer empty. Demonstration is possible. The po this possibility brings fulfillment to ancient scripture, contentment to Jesus. He's content just sitting there, right? Instead of striving. It's hard to preach week after week that the kingdom is coming when week after week we see a reality that looks a lot different most times. It's a lot more complicated when we acknowledge what we see with our eyes, what we see on the news, it's a lot less hopeful. We had some preachers earlier, you know, can I get an amen from you? It's hard to do that work, to preach the kingdom when we see something else. But our words don't have to inspire mere striving anymore. Our words can be anointed by the Spirit of God. Even our words can be set apart. Because let's be clear, the ancient words from the Scripture are the proclamation of what God will do with us or without us, of what God is doing and what God will finish ultimately with us or without us. God invites us to his story, which also means an invitation to God's strange timing, his strange ways, with or without us understanding it. We are set apart for a story where we are no longer the ones that have to hustle for justice because God is bringing that justice and we truly can feel fulfillment, even content in a strange, odd way. Through the Spirit being on us, we join the justice that God's already bringing, even when that means it might not come exactly when we want it. And this changes everything. A couple years ago, after the murder of George Floyd, uh, days and weeks later, 
the church I pastored, the Elm City Divinity, was wondering, what should we do? Our church had actually already done something about the killing of Ahmad Aubrey, joining Gary and other black pastors in the vineyard. We had written a letter. We uh, made sure to video that, to tell our community to lament and to grieve. So this felt like an insult to injury. But we thought we'd just address something like this. Year, you know, years before, we started working with our local police, doing reconciliation work, doing uh, the tough work of uh, seeing people and honoring them, even when we have to disagree, even when we have to bring the word of God into the mix. We already had done all of that, so it felt like, what, what are we to do now? And so many people wanted action, wanted something that was uh, tangible, and we kind of felt flat-footed. You know, I think uh, Scott and Brenda mentioned, COVID's been hard, COVID's been hard for churches. We're like, what do we do? We don't even know if we can gather. And we prayed, and we felt like the Lord was telling us to do something. Well, how don't you proclaim? There's a lot in your proclamation. Proclaim, and we kind of felt like sheepish about that, but we want to join it, like the doing of things. And the Lord kind of made it clear. Nope, proclaim the truth, proclaim the kingdom. So we started something called Reimagining Authority, where we just met right on the steps of our church, right by the downtown green, very public area, and we just said, this is God's kingdom coming. This is good authority that God gives us that's so much different than the broken authority we find in so many places, including the places your city found it. We just proclaimed simple truth, but in the moment, it felt very powerful. And a woman came, her name was Natalia, and uh, she is not Christian. Uh, she kind of looked at us and stopped <laughs> and, and just entered into what we were doing. And uh, she kind of comes from a different spiritual background. So she said, I really like what's going on. This gives me good vibes. This is good energy, right? <laughs> but she was so troubled by what had happened, but she hadn't found an outlet that let her feel like something uh, of love could change anything, something of hope could change anything. It's not that she was like against anger. She was like, it doesn't feel like other things are going anywhere. And I want to be attached to this bigger story. And we said, we'll just keep coming. So this woman came to our gatherings. This woman came to church, so beyond just the reimagining authority space. And it was all the power of proclamation. This thing that we were sheepish about actually had some possibility for someone that didn't know the story of God but wanted in, even if her way of saying she wanted in was, I think I want more of this energy, this good energy. Like, what, what spirit is this again? The Holy Spirit? Okay, I want more of that. And something about her story, as it joined ours, we saw that our words actually aren't empty when we proclaim in the power of the Spirit. And now she's joining our community and seeking justice with us as she sees these words that gave her hope come into play in action. We can't just stay at proclamation. We have to move to demonstration. So what about that? We talked about the proclamation of a set-apart kingdom. What does a demonstration of it look like? of this otherworldly realm of what God's perfect love looks like. Well, let's go back into our story of what Jesus' listeners did after his mic drop moment. Let's go back to the text in verse 22. All spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. They recognized the hometown boy, right? But what does Jesus say to them? <laughs> Jesus said to them, surely, you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Here Jesus gets aggressive. Like, this is a turn-up moment. Like, no one got mad at Jesus. No one got in his face. Jesus just said, I'm about to throw down. Like, it's like, wait, Jesus, everyone was okay. Like, weren't you sitting? Like, you were seated. Weren't you fulfilled, like, a second ago? But all of a sudden, Jesus is angry. He's upset. He gets in the crowd's face. He's uh, speaking strong words to the gathering assembly, and it seems like not even set-apart days are safe from some challenging speech. 
Jesus is essentially saying that these listeners who are all religious insiders, they would love to be blessed and blessed first. But didn't we just read the passage? Who's blessed? Who gets the, the fruit and the work? It's the poor, it's the blind, it's the oppressed. But they're like, gimme, 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 we want more. They had all the insider lingo from proclamation, but they didn't have a desire to give their blessings to the least. And this offends Jesus, that Isaiah scroll, all the words, all those people, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, but this group of religious insiders still thinks it's about them. Jesus doesn't like that. And here's what Jesus says, and I'll help break this down a little bit after because there's some references that might be less familiar to us. This is the end of our passage today. Jesus says this to the crowd that was so happy just a second ago and now seems to be a little bit more upset. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. What's the response? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We've got to ask the question here, why were people so upset? Why were they so mad just right after they were praising Jesus? So mad that they almost killed Jesus. You ever thought about that? Jesus like died on the cross, but like this was like, nope, let's make it faster. Luke 4, we're going to end the story right now. That's like how mad they were. Well, Jesus told times of crises in the story of Israel, of God's people, where God blessed the outsiders first, not the religious insiders, even though the religious insiders had need. This isn't, hey, just bless the widow and the orphans, bless the immigrants with your extra, with your plenty. This was the people of God struggling with disease, with famine. They were having a hard time. And God did what? He still went to the outsider first the widow of a different ethnic background where there was a famine, the foreigner and immigrant when there was an outbreak of leprosy. It turns out that people agreed with the proclamation of Jesus. They just didn't like who he demonstrated his love to. They did not like where God sent his mercy. It turns out that Jesus' religious insider crowd wanted the proclamation and demonstration for themselves, not for others, and certainly not for the least. Mercy. Mercy Vineyard Church, how is God challenging you to partner with God, to extend the mercy of God further than just yourselves? But to the least, to even the most offensive, the one who's offended you the most, to the other. The truth is we're not set apart to save ourselves. We're not set apart to serve ourselves. We're not even set apart for God to exclusively serve us. We are set apart to serve others, specifically the least of these, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. Our proclamation of this word gives us hope and gives others hope. God's demonstration of this word looks like being sent apart, set apart to serve others, 
not set apart to receive our own gain. Listen to our Savior. Jesus says the Spirit has anointed him for proclamation and demonstration of God's kingdom for the least of these. What does it mean that today we are setting apart Gary to do that work in our midst? We are installing him in the church sanctuary, but we are anointing him for ministry in the streets of Minneapolis, in the streets that will fill up this church and beyond. Do we believe that today? What does it mean that the Spirit is challenging leaders all over this church to sign up again for a proclamation of a set-apart reality, that God's kingdom is coming to the poor and to the broken, and that the Lord wants to demonstrate the power out there, maybe even before it gets in here. He's working outside already, in your neighborhoods, at your kids' school, all over the city of Minneapolis. What will that feel like for it to be out there and be like, can it come in here? We kind of want Sundays to be, what if it's out there first? And what if you're a part of that? Because you go. What does it mean for you, even if this is your first Sunday at ECV, sorry, first Sunday at Mercy, I know, it's hard for a pastor not to do that. What does it mean for you, even if this is your first Sunday at Mercy, and you're like, who is this guy that confused the churches, right? You don't even know who Gary is, right? Not yet. But you have an invitation from the Spirit to hope for more than what you thought was possible, to be set apart, not for hustle, not even for hustle for justice, but to join God as God slowly brings justice and his kingdom to our world. That you're learning that you're set apart to serve, even just today, perhaps before you got whatever good thing you were looking for as you came to church for the first time. What does this mean for you? The Spirit is on you, Mercy Vineyard, You're being set apart for a ministry of the word, of the spirit, and of street. Will you receive it from this strange Jesus that some run out of town and try to kill, and others welcome in their hearts, in their lives, to be their leader, not only for their own gain, but for the sake of the world around them? What will you do today? What's your choice today, Mercy Vineyard? Jesus, we can pray to you now and say, let us know that when you extend mercy, that you do give it to us too, especially as we admit our own poverty, our own imprisonment, our own blindness, our own oppression. That's really how we receive, is by saying we are the other too. We are the struggling one too. We are the poor too. That's how it gets to us. But even then, it still goes to others. Jesus, we say that We are also those broken ones who need your touch. And we must be the wounded healers that are set apart to serve others. So remember this, Mercy. When we choose to be set apart, the proclamation of the word gives us hope for what's possible. And we never need to be embarrassed by that. That proclamation gives us hope, even if we feel like, what are we doing? What's Mercy doing? What are our actions? We need that hope because it's everlasting. And the kingdom of God is tethered to a hope of what's possible because God will bring it about with us or without us. The Spirit is our guide, even more than our hustle. And some of us here, we're laboring. We're hustling for justice and for other good things. And Jesus still says to us, do you want to be fulfilled, though, and content? Let me show you what I'm already doing. Receive it and be guided by the Spirit. 
And then there's that demonstration of God's power that often starts first with folks outside of our church doors. It often does, if we're honest. It means we have to let the word direct us to receive the spirit as we head to the streets to see the things we're talking about in church, to see the hope that we have actually come to pass. We can find it in here sometimes, but oftentimes we found it out there at the streets. Mercy, let me give you a few invitations and reflections as I close. This is for you to make it real, to make it practical in your life, because we're installing Gary today. We're also creating a moment for you to say, do you too want to be set apart for this task? Because I know Gary doesn't want to pastor alone. I know he doesn't want to minister alone. But we minister in the vineyard together, one to another, and also all of us joining our neighbors, serving outside. So a few invitations or reflections. Think about this. Where do you encounter the proclamation of the word, and where does the word actually give you hope? And you got to be honest about this. If it's like it doesn't, that's like a great answer because you're being real, right? And you can say, is it here? Is it as you read the Bible? Is it as you talk to a friend that just always has stories for you of what God's doing? Where do you encounter the proclamation of the word, and does it give you hope? Find time this week to read Luke 4. You can read the whole chapter. It's a great chapter. Or you can just read 14 through 30, which is the story that I've just preached about. And pray Jesus' ancient words of Scripture over yourself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus was saying that about an ancient Scripture. So if Jesus did that, then I think we can do that about his own words, right? We can pray the Spirit of the Lord be on us to preach the good news to the poor. Second, where do you get drained because of your hustle, whether it's for justice or your hustle otherwise, for anything else? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know, folks are trying to get that better job. Where is your hustle? And confess today your overwork and pray this prayer. Spirit, help me trust you enough to see that you're already working and fill me to help fill others. Pray that prayer this week. And lastly, where is the Spirit's activity outside of the church? Are you present to it? Do you see it? Are you part of it? Do you feel it? Where might be you prioritizing your own blessing or gift from God rather than seeking to serve someone else on the streets? Choose one way this week to get nearer to God's work on the streets. And hint, it will probably look like you getting a little bit uncomfortable, probably getting outside of your house. I'm sure there's some way that you could like mix Netflix into this, but like probably won't involve Netflix. But you'll have to go beyond and outside and see what God is up to. Let me pray for you all as I close. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be present here right now? Lord, send your mercy to this church. And would you set it apart for your work and your glory? Thank you that you've been faithful to this church. There's a charism that you've given this church that you're still stewarding. Send your mercy here once more. Let mercy be fulfilled in your proclamation of the word. Would you bless it with the spirit to be part of your demonstration, God? Would this be a place that proclaims the word and demonstrates the word over and over and over again in the sanctuary and critically outside of the sanctuary? 
would Minneapolis know this church through the proclamation and demonstration of your kingdom? And would you fill mercy up with the possibility and power for them to be poured out onto a world that's hungry for the spirit and hungry for the kingdom? Lord, I pray right now that this community would sense the spiritual hunger of the city, whether or not they care for church or God or Jesus or anything. Would you create in this community senses that this area is spiritually hungry? And then, God, would you give them hunger? Hunger to spread a feast and just to simply invite folks to eat. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing here. God, we thank you for Gary and his family. We thank you for all the leaders here, all those who are coming, and especially if there's some people here for the first time, God, we thank you for them that the story of mercy is their story as well as anyone else's, God. We pray your spirit would come and that this would be a set-apart day for all the purposes you have. Would you be giving us curiosity about what that means for this church, for each one of us in our lives, and even this area and the vineyard beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name.